And it's so good that we can come again to listen to the, the, the Word of God. Now, as we know, we are continuing in this series, uh, summer series on Psalms, finishing up with this theme of thanksgiving. Now, we are going to, as you know, going to glean from uh, Psalms 95 and 96 uh, and look at what he has to say about thanksgiving. Now, as we are considering these two uh, Psalms, it means that we could be here for a very, very long time. And coming from a tradition where sermons usually last an hour long, and you just hope that I will not go on that default mode. Now, Psalms 95 and 96 are considered as a pair. As such, that's why we are looking at these two Psalms together. Now, Psalms 95 and 96 are classified as Thanksgiving Psalms. And they're also known as theocratic Psalms as they celebrate God as King and then the day will come when we see his hand in government. But that day will come one day. You know, Psalm 95, as I say, is a psalm of thanksgiving. And this psalm particularly emphasizes on the worship of God, making this also a worship psalm. But it's also a royal psalm because of the way it acknowledges the great God, the great King. And he is to worship as the rock of our salvation. He is to be worshipped as our creator, our maker. And he is to be worshipped as uh, our redeemer. And also our shepherd. Because we are the sheep of his hand. And because he is our great God, our great king, our rock of salvation, our creator, our maker, our redeemer, and our shepherd. We can see why the psalmist uh, in, in Psalms 95 begins with such a robust uh, and uh, so full of energy and delight as it comes with this prospect of worshipping God in the temple. No wonder Psalms 95 is called the Psalm of Provocation by Spurgeon. He said, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Now remember, psalm was written by King David, and it was probably uh, in reference to uh, God's special uh, presence in the most holy place, and also the glory that shone out of the cloud above the tabernacle. And that generation that wandered in the wilderness saw vividly the presence of God as it moved with the with the, with the wandering in the desert. Now it's true that God is everywhere, but there is a special presence of His grace and His glory where we should never come without profound reverence. We come with deep humility before His presence. You know, each Sunday as we come through uh, those doors and that threshold, we move from the secular to the sacred. We come from the profane to the holy. We pass through the mundane to God's special and holy presence. You know, the amazing thing is, you are told to come boldly into the presence of God and remember who it is. The great God, the great King, the Creator, our Maker, our Redeemer, our Shepherd. And those are his credentials. 
Yet, this psalmist invites us. And this psalmist calls us to come and remember God for who He is. His greatness and His great goodness and to shout joyfully and to cheerfully confess Him. You know, often when uh, as Spurgeon puts it, singing unites joy with seriousness, exaltation with humility, fervency with dignity. You know, here the psalm is just calling us to come before our great God, our great King, with enthusiasm, yet in reverence of who it is. You know, one can imagine the psalmist uh, David inviting the people to uh, go with him into, to worship God with the harps and hymns and holy delight and enthusiasm. And he insists on that twice in the verse, to come joyfully in his presence. Perhaps we fear that we often overlook that aspect in our church singing, where we think that we uh, need to be serious and solemn in our services. And they seem to uh, put an aspect of uh, misery and forget that joy is very much a character of coming to worship God. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the sheep and the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now here is uh, again the psalmist reminding us of humility before God. Now we know the posture is not everything, but it is something. Now the psalmist tells us that we are to worship by bowing down, to kneel before our God, to show that in a way we are nothing in the presence of our great God and great King. But then we can be singing joyfully bowing down, bending our knees, and raising our, our hands and posturing our body, it, it could just means nothing, but just an outward show. You know, in this section, here is a call for obedience in worship. The psalmist uh, reminds us that of God's judgment in the past for the congregation who did not take him seriously. And these people who wandered in the desert for 40 years, they have seen all of God's goodness all of God's greatness in all his miracles, yet they disobeyed him. And they said the rebellion at Meribah, where they refused to enter into the land of Canaan because they were afraid of the so-called giants in the land. And their disobedience caused the entire generation to lose the opportunity of enjoying the promise of God in this land that is flowing with milk and honey. You know, when we uh, come this morning towards our gratitude and thanks to God, it is to come with a heart of grieving. You know, there's a method of studying in the Bible that is called the law of first mention, or the law of first use. And basically, it means that finding the first time when that specific word is used in the Bible. Now, we did the book of Genesis a few months ago, and being the first book of the Bible, there'll be many concepts, many words, and many ideas 
will be mentioned the first time. And what the law of uh, first mention is that we then draw our understanding through the rest of Scripture with reference to when that was first used. And we start from there and build from it. You know, the law of first uh, use is like a cornerstone of the building and all the other stones that you set is set in reference to that first stone. And today, the word is worship. Now, we discount that worship is used for the first time in the most unusual circumstances and in a very unexpected place in Genesis 22. Now, in Genesis 22, 1 to um, 5, where this word is first mentioned in Scripture, when it's mentioned here, there are only two people at this worship service. One, a 130-year-old man, and the other, a young adult in his 30s. There's no stage lights, no sound desk, no choir up here leading us in song. It's just the two individuals there. Now, your body would like to turn the page to Genesis 22, and we will read from there. See, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Isaac and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham got up early the next morning, settled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he split wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. And that's the surrounding of when the, the passage of when the word was first used. We will worship is first mentioned in scripture in verse 5. I think it's just uh, thought it was quite perplexing and uh, unthinkable why God should choose to put that word in that section of scripture. In the story surrounding the word worship is about God asking Abraham to sacrifice his only son as burnt offering. And Abraham called that an act of worship. We will worship. He did not call Abraham to go to the mountain to sing songs. To sacrifice your son, that is an act of worship. Now there is this little word in the narrative that I want you to notice that's been read. And it appears 14 times in three verses. 14 times in three verses. Imagine that. My, my apologies to um, those uh, who are teachers of English, John. <laughs> and uh, a bit of a grammar moment here. There is a word called polysyndeton. Polysyndeton. P-O-L-Y-S-Y-N-D-E-T-O-N. Simply, this word polysynthon is 
the use of repeated conjunctions like uh, word and or but or or to connect different themes and ideas in a sentence. Now the idea is the joining of other words or clauses into the sentence is to emphasize what he wants to convey. And in verse 3 and 5, we have this polysyndeton and the word is N. And it is used six times in verse 3, and then in verse 5 and 6, it is used eight times. And so Abraham got up early in the morning and settled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac and he split wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place of which God had told him. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took wood for the burnt offering and laid on his son Isaac and he took his hand and his hand, the fire, and the knife. Fourteen times in three verses, he was all just, it seems like an overkill. It just keeps coming like rapid fire. Boop, 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 you know? Just reading that, it's it, it just the, the mood that it sets you in. But we ask the question, why is it important? Why is this poly... Uh, Sinderton word important. Why at this point, this the grammar use of this word? Why? Because when you see the word and is used so many times, it is connecting everything to emphasize one thing. It's emphasizing this non-stop continuance of the task until the task was done by Abraham. And Abraham is saying that if God says it, I will take care of every detail and I will go on and do it and, and I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this until the task is done. Until I get to the finish line. That's what Abraham was doing. God spoke to him and told him to take his son Isaac to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. And all of a sudden you have this quick fire action uh, where he says he rose early the next morning and see the 14 uh, polysynthesis and the 14 phases connecting to the word and get to the part of what he was doing, that he will worship the Lord. You see, the first underlining premise of worship is obedience. That is what the law of first use seems to be pointing out to us. That's what Abraham is telling us. First and foremost, worship is about obedience. And we see in the case of Abraham, where he said, well, God tells me to take um, um, Isaac to worship him. I will do that. I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. We will worship. There was that one whole act of obedience to what God has called him to do. Now, this act of a thanksgiving must come from a heart of obedience. You know, so you see, Abraham's everyday life was an act of worship in obedience, delivering out what the Lord had called him to do. And I just remembered um, the church that I was growing up in 
in my younger days, and a member and elder telling me, like, you know, when you come to worship service each Sunday, you prepare three days before and three days after that. You walk in obedience three days before and three days after that when you come to worship. So it's not just gathering here each Sunday that we come to worship God. Our everyday living, uh, everyday living out what the Lord has called us to do is the act of worship. Now so far we have seen that the psalmist has challenges to come boldly and sing joyfully in his presence and also to come that the whole act of this thanksgiving is, comes with, a, with this heart of obedience. And now as we come to Psalm uh, 46, we are told that to sing a new song to the Lord. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. And when the psalmist um, write the psalm, he said, why? We are to sing, to celebrate God as the creator. We have to sing to celebrate that God is our king. We have to sing because it's a celebration that our God will come one day to be the judge and ruler of the world. You know, three times we are called to sing to the Lord. And three times the Lord's name is repeated. And we are reminded three times that all praise should be directed towards the Lord. I think the psalmist sometimes feared uh, that Religious singing is often not directed to the Lord, but for our own feeling, our own motion, and for the year of the congregation. But the psalmist here is telling us, worship, religious singing, is acknowledging God, who is our creator, who is our king, who is the coming ruler and judge. Is acknowledging what God has done for us, in particular, what he has called us, he has chosen us, he has saved us, he has redeemed us, and has given us eternal life. And it is expressing gratitude to God. And again, a reminder that when we come, we are singing and giving thanks and of uh, our gratitude to God in song. You know, this uh, threefold call to all the nations of the people to sing to the Lord in praise of his name, his fame, his character, his revealed word and his, and his way. And the Lord delights in hearing us singing, acknowledging him for who he is and what he has done for us. You know, there's something uh, that should, uh, as we come, that should create worship. You know, it's the preaching of the word and the reading of scripture. That's why here at Freeway Baptist, we give so much time to, uh, to just reading the scripture and to the preaching of the word without fail. Because when you hear the, hear the truth, when you hear the word, when you hear it being read, when you hear it being preached, then you know that the truth that has been proclaimed to you reaches out to God to express praise and gratitude. Give to the Lord, O families of the people. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. 
Now here again we meet this expression of giving to the Lord. And some of the versions that, that we read earlier on is ascribe glory to the God. Now the question is, how can we give glory to the King of Kings? What can we give to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And the psalmist say that we to give him his glory and strength, which means that we to recognize the virtues of who our Lord, the great King is. Then we are called to give to the Lord the glory due his name. And this act of giving glory to God is the honor that is due to him. And the question asks is, what have I said or done that brings him honor? We owe him. And the word due implies a debt. And the debt must be paid. And are we paying our dues? Now we are told to bring an offering. That's to say that we must not appear before him empty-handed. We must not only, uh, uh, he must not only receive praise and uh, gratitude from our lips, but also the gifts that we bring him. You know, again, we need to go back to uh, this law first mentioned in, of worship in uh, Genesis 22. And it says that now he came, sorry, that, um, that was something that we put in last minute, but it couldn't come up. Anyway, in Genesis 22, in verse 1, it says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now it seems that uh, in the Jewish tradition, that these two verses was not just a command that God was telling Abraham, now I want you to take Isaac to be sacrificed on this mountain. But it's more than just a command. It also, the Jewish tradition seems to tell us that there was a conversation going uh, back and forth that was taking place between God and Abraham. And here's what they said. When you see a comma, in the Jewish understanding, it's believed that it's the insertion of Abraham speaking to what God was asking him to do. And I just want to read to what God says, and then uh, at the comma would insert what, in holy imagination, Abraham might have responded in that conversation. Now this is what God says. Take now your son, comma. And Abraham's reply was, I have two sons. Perhaps in his mind he said, well, I hope it is Ishmael and not Isaac because if it's Isaac, he is the, you know, he's the promised one and the descendants to follow. Next, God says, your only son, comma. And Abraham responds, Ishmael and Isaac, they are both my sons. Then God responded, the one whom you love, comma. And Abraham answered, I love them both. Then God goes, Isaac, the one who I'm talking about, Isaac. Conversation ends, and so Abraham rose early the next morning and journeyed to where the Lord re 
wants him to offer Isaac. You see, worship is giving to God what you love. Worship is giving to God the best. And everyone was going to offer back the miracle child to God because God asked him to. Now this is the really hard part. Now you just, not just what you want, but what's best. True worship is uh, not asking for just that 15 minutes of singing each Sunday, but it's asking us to give back the Lord the best and what we love. I will worship and give thanks and praise when you are giving and blessing me abundantly. I will also worship you when you are taking it away. That's what Abraham said. You know, I definitely like the you know, the, the blessings from God, but to be taken away, not so much. But then, remember Job in one twenty one says, the Lord giveth and the Lord has taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thanksgiving, worship is giving God the best and what we love the most. And when we open up and offer our hands, are we offering God the best and what we love most? There's so much I've learned from here. You know, just again, we finish and says that our act of worship and thanksgiving is to be joyful, done in a heart of obedience. And when we sing uh, uh, our songs of thanksgiving, is directed to God. It is not about us. It is about Him. And we come, we come to give the Lord the best. Let's pray. And Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we acknowledge that you are our creator, you are our maker, you are our redeemer. Lord, you have saved us from our sin, you have called us and redeemed us. Father, we much to thank you for what you have called us to be your child. So Father, even as we go on the days again, we, uh, each day we acknowledge your goodness and your blessings. And Lord, we just want to live each day out in obedience to what you have called us to do and where you have placed us to be. So, Father, as we go on, Lord, in, in the days to come, Lord, we go up joyfully singing songs of praises to you because of who we are. Lord, even as we go, we just want to thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.